it's very important that if you're a regular giver to missions that you just fill out that card because it helps us to plan how we're going to give missions for the next year. And uh, the more accurate depiction we have of we have going towards missions, the more missions, missionaries we can either give a little bit more to and some additional funds because we know that there are many of those that we would like to bring up a little bit higher than what we did in the past. And then there may be others that we could add on. And we, uh, the more funds that we know are, are, are committed to come in, you know, it gives us the ability to maybe add on a few that are doing God's work around the world, and that gives us the ability to know, you know, and to plan for that. And uh, this morning, I'm going to get right into the message because there's quite a bit I want to cover today from Galatians chapter 5. I do want to encourage you this morning, uh, if you haven't read through the book of Galatians, it, I think it would be a great exercise for you to, to read through the book of Galatians. We've been covering the, just the chapter 5 over the last couple of weeks, and this week will be chapter 5 as well. But you get to see the, the entire context of what was happening in that church. It's only six chapters long, so it's not even a long book that you have to worry about 50 chapters or anything like that. I encourage you to read it, because we've been talking about grace, and more specifically, what grace does. And we talk, we've been talking about the salvation part of grace. So we have God's saving grace that every one of us have experienced. If we've accepted Jesus Christ into our lives, we've experienced that grace and what it means for us. And we've also known and, and talked about God's, um, that God's sustaining grace. So where God's grace continues to help us through circumstances and situations, we never thought we could get through on our own. But God gave us the grace necessary for the moment. His grace was sufficient. His grace was enough to get us through those difficult times and those trials and tribulations that we are facing. But if grace is the bridge to freedom, and that's what this whole series has been about. I've said that grace is the bridge to get us from where we are to where we want to be. So if grace is the bridge to freedom, then what is freedom? What does it mean to be free? What are we free to do? Freedom for what? That's the questions we're going to be talking about this morning. And if we want to experience true freedom, we need to know what God's grace is leading us to. So it's leading us from certain things in our lives, but what is it leading us to? We need to understand freedom. I have a, a story, I heard a story recently of a man who would like to have freedom. The Republican Party mistakenly invited an Ohio prisoner to a $2,500 a plate fundraising dinner in Washington with President Bush. So this is a little while ago. The invitation and letter from Vice President Cheney were sent to Robert Kirkpatrick at the Belmont Correctional Institution in Easton, Ohio. Kirkpatrick, 35, was sentenced to nearly three years for drug possession and escape. This is how Kirkpatrick handled it. He said, well, I'm going to tell him that I'd be happy to attend, but he's going to have to pull some strings to get me there. When we think of freedom... We recognize that every one of us were once prisoners. Every one of us have been held captive, enslaved, or we were bound to sin. We had things going in our lives, and we were held captive by shame and guilt from our past. But Christ pulled some strings, and he took our place in that prison. He was crucified for our sin. And now we have a special invitation from the Father. Not a dinner with President Bush, but a dinner with our Father. We are free now. But have we been given freedom just so that we can get a special dinner? Is that what the freedom is all about? Said another way, are we free 
And are we saved just so our ticket to heaven has been reserved? Or is there more to that freedom that God has given us? Is there more that we would enjoy from freedom? Now, just to be clear, as we've been saying this all along, but I want to make sure that nobody takes this one message and segments it out, we will never be able to earn our salvation. We are not saved by works. So this begs the question then, what do we do with our freedom? Does freedom mean that we are free to do whatever we decide? We have established that we have been freed from sin. We've been freed from guilt. We've been freed from shame. But what are we free to? We're freed from, but what are we freed to? And this is what we begin to see that Paul is trying to get out of the Galatian church and get through to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 1, we talked about this verse next week, but it's appropriate here to show you the context of where Paul is writing to this church. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You see, many people in church circles, religious circles, and even theological circles have varying interpretations of what freedom is and what freedom entails and what we can do as believers in Christ with our freedom. Many have interpreted this passage as a license to do whatever they want to do as long as they keep a relationship with Jesus on the side. As long as they keep that relationship with God, I can do whatever I want. Now let me make this clear. We're not given freedom as an excuse to sin or to continue in sin. It seems to me that our freedom came at a great cost, like all freedom does. Freedom is never free, right? Those of you who, know, who are in the military and those who know our, history, our nation's history know that freedom is never free. It came at a great cost, and there is more to God's grace than just being able to do whatever you want simply because you said a prayer at one point in your life. You said a sinner's prayer, so now I can live how I want as long as I've said that prayer and as long as I keep some relationship with the God that I claim. So we're free from sin. We're free from sin. We're free from guilt. We're free from shame. But what are we free to? I believe Paul makes it very clear here what we're free to do in Galatians chapter 5. And one of the things he makes very clear is that if we do not stand for grace, we will lose our freedom. We will find ourselves back into bondage, yoked to slavery. Just like he says here, don't get tied up again into the slavery of the law. Make sure that you stay free. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. You can follow along if, if you'd like. I have it here uh, in the New Living Translation. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to what? To serve one another in love. Verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we have not been given freedom to satisfy our sinful nature. Under the law, we depended on our own effort to be able to obey that law and to win or earn our salvation somehow. 
But under grace, we depend on freedom, and we also depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, we've been given freedom so that we can serve one another in love. That's why we've been given it. That is what freedom was supposed to be used for. We are free to serve one another in love. We are free to love our neighbor. We are free because we're not held back anymore by that, that sin and that shame and that guilt. God has made us a new creation, and that no longer hinders us. Our past no longer hinders us from being able to be free to love one another and to love our neighbors. It no longer trips us up and causes us to stumble. Our past is clean and wiped out. We are free because we have stripped off that weight of sin that holds us back as we run our race. We knock, run it to the side so that we can run this race with endurance. That's what we're free for. We're free to tell others what God has done for us. What he has done in our lives. How he has changed us. How he has made us new. And how we have changed. And how we have changed as a result of God's work in me. And God's work in you. You see, freedom was being misused at the Heritage Christian Church in Galatia. Freedom was being misused. How so? Let's do a quick review of what we've covered so far. We're free to serve one another. We're free to love our neighbor. But what was the Galatian church using their freedom for? It's kind of like when you, when you watch certain commercials or different things where they make a certain comment that's just off and it goes, like, hold, push on the brakes. What's going on here in this church? Why is Paul talking here about freedom and grace and law versus grace? Galatians 5.15 says, But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So they're using their freedom to destroy one another. They were using their freedom to judge everybody else. Why? Because, hey, I've been forgiven. I'm doing the right things. I've been forgiven of my past. I have no shame or guilt. Now I can sit back and judge everybody else that does have that sin and shame and guilt. Or so they thought. Instead of showing love and instead of serving one another, they were biting one another. They were Not physically, hopefully. Maybe if you take it literally. But they were attacking one another. That's right. They went right back to a different form of legalism. I've been saved. What's wrong with you? I've been cleansed of my sin. What's wrong with you? So Paul gives this Galatian church, he gives them both a warning and a solution. A warning and a solution. Here's the warning. If you continue to go down this path, it only leads to living out what your sinful nature wants to do. It's the first step towards doing what you want to do in your sinful nature. And this was not the purpose of being set free. You will just end up right back into bondage, right back into legalism. Galatians chapter 5, verses 17, just continuing here in the same chapter. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Exactly. That's what I say to that too. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You see, you're not free to carry out those good intentions. Why? Because you're constantly at war with yourself. And if you're constantly at war with yourself, it's hard to see outside of yourself, isn't it? If you're constantly battling what your sinful nature wants you to do, it's hard to see outside of yourself. It robs you of your time and blinds you to opportunities that are right in front of your face to serve one another and to serve your neighbor and to love your neighbor. You see, the more you listen to your sinful nature, the more bad fruit gets produced in your life. So where does this all lead? The old person we used to be without Christ still tries to gain a foothold in our lives. Still trying to gain a foothold in our spiritual lives, in our new life, and tries to trip us up, tempting us to go back to our old ways versus the way that the Holy Spirit has planned for us. You see, we are free in Christ, but the freedom is constantly challenged. To grow in Christ demands that we take some action. See, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, shows us what happens in our lives if we continue to go down the path of biting and devouring one another. It leads to the next thing and the next thing. It says in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Does that sound like the world we live in sometimes? Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. He says this, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you want to know if you're living in the flesh or living in the spirit? Here's the visible evidence. This is the measurement. If you are doing any of these things on a consistent basis, you're not living in the spirit. You're living in the flesh. Doesn't mean you're not saved if you do something and you mess up here and there. But when you're doing these things on a consistent basis, what fruit are you producing in your life to show that Christ is in you? If you continue reading in Galatians, Paul speaks in Galatians chapter 6, and he says, you know what? You need to know this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You sow bad fruit, and your life will produce bad fruit. And the thing about that is, it's not just personal, right? Because when you have a family, that bad fruit comes through your family, too. That bad fruit comes through the, the family line. And that's the seeds that are being planted. You see, these things, all those things from that I just read, that whole list, masquerade as freedom. Right? People think if you can do all those things, then you're truly free. You're truly free. But we all know, and you've probably seen it in your own families, 
You've probably seen it in your own homes. You've probably seen it in your own communities that these things do not lead to freedom. They lead to more bondage. When we go back to Galatians 5.1, you have experienced God's grace, he says. Don't fall back into slavery. I read this article. It's a, a blog post by a woman who struggled with what this freedom meant for her. In her blog post titled, So I Quit Drinking, Christian writer Sarah Bessie gives a, one, a powerful example of habits that perhaps not sinful in and of themselves become sinful to us. She begins by admitting that she had been a lover and consumer of wine throughout adulthood, and it never bothered her in the least. Bessie continues, But I have learned that when you are walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always up to something. And when it comes to conviction, I have found that the Holy Spirit to be gentle, yet relentless. Change and transformation is an ongoing process. And we begin to sense that this thing that we used to do and we thought it was okay is no longer okay. The thing that used to mean freedom has become bondage. Because a year ago, and this is again her continuing her story here, she said, I knew God wanted me to stop drinking. Oh, I had all the excuses for why I could keep enjoying my wine in the evenings. I work hard. I, I give so much. I'm not an alcoholic. I've never been hung over. It doesn't affect my life. It's social. It's fun. It's even in the Bible. Wine is in the Bible. But I began to be haunted by the writer of Hebrews who said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So I began to wonder why I was resisting throwing off this weight of alcohol when I was so determined to keep running my race with this habit that had begun to feel so heavy. And in my soul, I could see the Holy Spirit practically jogging alongside me and saying every now and again, aren't you ready to put that heavy weight down yet? I think it's time you stop this one. It looks to me like it's getting heavier the longer you hold on. Bessie mentions the dangers, of course, of legalism, and it's, this isn't about legalism. This isn't Pastor John saying, don't ever drink. Unless you have alcohol issues in your family, I would encourage staying away from it. But she concludes, but in our steering away from legalism, I wonder if we left the road to holiness or began to forget that God also cares about what we do and how we do it and why we do it. You see, conviction is less about condemnation than it is about invitation. It's an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into wholeness. I like this story for a few reasons. One, what she was doing was not technically a sin. She was not getting drunk. But she sensed the Holy Spirit telling her to give it up. This was not about other people telling her what to do or other people judging her for what she was doing. This is about the, being open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit slowly working in her life where she felt like for her, this became a sin. She remained sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading on the issue and ultimately obey, obeyed what she heard. See, obeying God always leads to true freedom. 
This is exactly what we see in Paul's solution. His solution is to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Famous British theologian named John Stott put it this way. He said, so the enjoyment of Christian liberty depends on the Holy Spirit. True, it is Christ who sets us free. But without continuing, without the continuing, directing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, our liberty is bound to degenerate into license. What's he saying here? We are given freedom in Christ. But often if we leave certain parts out of how the Holy Spirit is trying to direct us and work in our lives, we begin to degenerate into license. We think that freedom is license to do whatever we want. What does the living Holy Spirit living inside of us bring? True and lasting freedom. One that will not end in bondage. Here's what it produces. You've heard this passage, I'm sure, many times if you've been around the church for a while. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25. So we saw the deeds of the flesh. We saw if you go that direction of judging and biting and pointing out everybody else's sin, what it leads to. It leads to your own path going down in the wrong direction. But here's what the Holy Spirit and living by the Spirit produces in us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Now notice this part, in every part of our lives. Let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is the visible evidence of walking in the Spirit. All those fruits, the patience, the love, the joy, the peace, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, all fruits of the Spirit. That's the visible fruit that we can see from people that say that person is living in the Spirit. So connecting the dots here, as we started in, in chapter 5, we started off the chapter talking about legalism. But when we are led by the Spirit, look at the fruit that you'll produce. There is no law against any of those things, right? Is there a law against peace, love? Is there a law against patience, self-control? And I would venture to say that our world needs more people to exhibit those fruits. Amen? We are free to serve. We are free to love our neighbors. We are free to tell our story about what God has done for us. We are free from guilt. We are free from sin. We are free from shame. You see, fleshly living is self-centered instead of other-centered and is characterized by division rather than unity. Verse 25, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let me ask you this question, and this is something for you to really think about. Will the Spirit ever lead you to sin or to use grace as an excuse to sin? No, 
He will not. But the Holy Spirit does give freedom. Freedom to worship. Freedom to come together and to pray. Freedom to love one another. Freedom to love our neighbor. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Today you may be hearing this, and you may feel like you're in bondage to the sin in your life. Or perhaps you've allowed yourself to get tangled back in that sin that you were once free from. The Father is sending you an invitation. You're invited to a special event. You're invited to freedom. But how do you or any of us really get God's freedom? Only through God's amazing grace. You can experience that freedom today. Or you can repent of your legalism and begin to live in freedom. Freedom from guilt, shame, and sin. You can live in freedom to love one another, to love your neighbor. You can be free to walk in the Spirit versus the law. Because Jesus took our punishment and died as a sacrifice on the cross so that we can live in freedom. He also rose again so that we can be raised to new life. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you would say, I want to begin that freedom in my life. I want to feel that freedom. I want to experience God's grace for myself. I'm going to ask the congregation to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to pray and to receive Christ and to begin to experience his amazing grace in your life. Or if you've strayed away and you've got tangled back up in that sin, it's not too late for you. You can still return. Lord Jesus, I want to experience your freedom today. Freedom from sin. Freedom to love others. Please forgive my sins by your grace. Make me new. Give me a new start. Let it begin today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And this morning I want to ask if you said that prayer. That's a first step. But there's also another step you can take. You can get a free Bible app on your phone called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. In that app you can find a devotional called First Steps. It's going to help take you through the decision you just made, helping you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in your life. I want to encourage you to download that, go through that plan. If you're near us, we'd love to see you here on a Sunday morning, be able to continue to help you, encourage you, and grow in your faith. If you're not near us, find a good church near you. We want to say, God bless you. You've made a huge decision, and there's more decisions to come. There's more steps. I'm going to have the congregation stand this morning as I read this over you. And this passage comes from Jude, chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. It says, But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. 
They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Now go this morning walking in grace and allowing God to work in every aspect of your life. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.